You're listening to Jewish Matters with Rabbi Jonathan Feldman. Good evening and welcome to our Jewish Matters podcast. Tonight we're talking about uh, Kabbalah 101 and we're in our second talk, Actualizing Our Potential. Just want you to know that each of these talks in the series stand on their own so you didn't have to have heard the first one. So the Zohar is the main repository of teachings of Kabbalah. And the origin of it is somewhat veiled in mystery. And I'd like to share the story with you. The authorship is attributed to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, one of the great rabbis of the Talmud, one of the great mystics of that period. And it didn't come to light. It didn't become revealed to the world because these are the hidden secret teachings didn't become revealed to the world until the 1200s. And the story is like this. So there was a rabbi, Moshe de Leon, who lived in northern Spain. And a rabbi in Israel, Rabbi Isaac of Akko, who himself was a great Kabbalist, he had heard about the teachings of Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai that were being disseminated, written down, uh, by Rabbi Moshe de Leon. Now, it's pretty incredible that back then people had such a drive for truth and knowledge and wisdom and enlightenment that he set out to go from Israel to Spain to get to the bottom of these teachings, to, re- to receive these teachings, and to get to the bottom of where they're from. And so he set off on a journey. Now, we have to understand that back then, traveling from Israel to Spain was putting your life in danger. There were pirates at sea. There were storms. It was a long, complicated, arduous voyage. And he set out. And so when he finally gets to Sarajevo, I believe it was, uh, he finally gets there. And Moshe is not around. So he sees his wife and he tells his wife, I traveled from Israel to get to the bottom of this story. Now, our account of this is actually in a transcript of the story that was then rewritten in the 1500s. So we have this manuscript from the 1500s that tells us a story about Rabbi Isaac of Akko and his diary. So Rabbi Isaac says, I finally got there and Moshe wasn't there. Rabbi Moshe wasn't there. So I went to his wife and I said to his wife, where are the writings? You know, where, what is the source of it? Can you tell me? And she said, oh, those writings, he's writing them as he goes along. And he's being paid by a patron to produce these writings to transcribe these writings, but manuscripts? What manuscripts? And he'd already talked to Rabbi Moshe's students, who of course said that Rabbi Moshe had the ancient manuscripts going back to Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai, and he was transcribing them and then making them public. So two weeks later, Rabbi Moshe would return and would be able to show him the original manuscripts. So Rabbi Isaac said, so he went somewhere for a couple of weeks, He comes back. He finally arrives at the house only to find out that Rabbi Moshe de Leon had passed away. 
directly upon his return. And so Rabbi Isaac says, I inquired some more and I finally got to the root of the matter. And this is where our 15th century manuscript breaks off. And it says, and we don't have any more. He says, we don't have any more of Rabbi Isaac's final verdict on the story. And so it's very fitting that the Book of Secrets is itself a secret, is itself hidden, the very origin of it. Uh, this account is given by Rabbi Ari Kaplan in his work, Inner Space. And uh, last week I talked about Rabbi David Aaron's books as a good introduction to Kabbalah. If you want a work that starts really getting into the, the mechanics, the understanding of the teachings, so uh, you can look at Inner Space. It's quite a dense book, and I would suggest going through it with someone who has an understanding of those teachings. So that's the story of the origin of the Zohar. Now, why do I introduce with this? Because the Zohar is really the repository. We talked about the Book of Formation, which attributed to Avraham, which has some of the more abstract Kabbalistic teachings, but the Zohar really gives us a system of how the divine comes into this world. And this is really, in essence, you could say that the paradox, the essence of all mystical teachings is, according to the Torah, Judaism, God is holy. What is Kadosh? Kadosh means separate. And we talk, call that God's transcendent. God transcends the world. God is beyond the world. Moshe wanted to said to God, show me your your ways, let me experience you. And God said, no man can see me and live. So we don't have access to the divine. So what do we have? So we have God's imminence. We have God's presence in this world. And it's not actually the divine itself, or is it? The Kabbalah uses the imagery of emanation, of uh, a light emanating, and sure, and actually the light before creation, of, of creation, is called the Or in Sof, the light of affinity, infinity, the light of nothingness. And that light is refracted as it comes into this world. And the way the Kabbalah approaches this dilemma of God's transcendence, God's separateness, but then God's imminence, God's presence in the world, is through the concept of emanation, and the spherot, because if God is the unity of all, so how can we experience the diversity of life and the diversity of spiritual experiences as well? So the analogy given is, it's like when a bright white light shines off a spotlight, but then it's refracted through a prism. Our balcony has glass, uh, glass sidings, glass rails, and at a certain time of day, the sun hits it and is refracted into the colors of the rainbow on the floor of the balcony. And so the white light is refracted, just like the white, right, white light is refracted into, say that 10 times quickly, just like the white light is refracted 10 times, refracted into seven, or, well, we're going to see, into 10 qualities, ten spherot, ten uh, divine qualities. 
And it's through those qualities that we're going to try and understand more of the spiritual experience of the divine. Now, what are Svirot? So the word Svirot, uh, some, you might have seen a picture. Sometimes it's called the tree of life. Sometimes it's a picture of a human form with 10 points upon it, if you will. And yes, they are different than the chakras. Okay, so there's similarities and differences. So the 10 Svirot, what is a Svira? It could from the, come from the word simply Sapar, to count. And actually, the Sefi Yitzirah, the book of formation, talks about the ten, mentions the ten Sfirot, but doesn't tell us what they are. Sapphire can also be from sapphire, brilliance, uh, illuminating. It could also be sapphire, could be a boundary. And the Sfirot are vessels that delineate the divine light, that refract it, and that then transmit it. So, we're going to look at this from two angles. We're going to look at it from the divine light, and we're also going to look at it from the human point of view. Because the Torah tells us that we're created in the divine image. So, in fact, within us is refracted as well all of those dimensions of the divine we'll find in the human. And that's why it's often laid out on the human form. And so they're also, in a sense, human divine qualities. And here is where we talk about actualizing our potential. Here is where we can understand how we bring out the divine self from within us through understanding these 10 energies, these 10 potentialities that we each have within us. So we're going to start at the top. And the top is the top three, which in a sense is the divine mind, the divine head. Okay? The top one is Keter, which is the crown right, the top of our head. And the right side is Chachma, wisdom. The left side is Bina, uh, packaging, understanding, if you will. Okay, so let's go through each of these. Now the Keter, the problem with Keter is, Keter is, in a sense, uh, the first unfolding of the Or Einsof, of the infinite light. So the Keter is really not accessible. But all we can say in that context is that it was God's will that the world should come into being. Okay? So in a sense, this is the Ratzon, the will, which is the divine will. And that divine will, all we can know is that the divine will is that we should exist, that we are here. In the human dimension, that Ratzon, we've talked about before, that Ratzon is the deepest core of our drive, of who we are, of what we're about, of what we want from life. And the way to get to that Ratzon is, if you keep asking why, what, you know, how do I spend my time? Well, I spend my time doing my job. Why? So some people might be because that's what fulfills me. Some people might be because I want to earn money. Why? So I can provide for myself, for my family, so I can buy things. Why do you want to buy things? Well, it gives me pleasure. Why does it give you pleasure? Well, I enjoy adventure. I enjoy or, uh, or uh, people will take me seriously uh, if I have a big house or a fancy car. Why do you want people to take you seriously? So you see that if we keep going, why, 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 why? 
eventually we'll get to the innermost essence of the human Ratzon. And, uh, and according to the Torah, the pure Ratzon of the soul is to serve the Almighty. That's what's the deepest down in the recess of our soul. That's what inspires us to want to bring goodness into the world and to bring out our divine self and to give to others. So that's the Ratzon. That's the essence of the will. But not everyone actualizes or lines up with that dimension of their Ratzon. And it's a little scary because we're told that like a ship that is off a few degrees, as it goes further, it goes more and more off. So if our Ratzon is not directed, is not purified, then it can lead us off. So that is the Keter. That first moment of existence coming into being and the essence of it is will to live. The next one is Chachma, which literally is translated as wisdom. And let me give you an analogy. So the analogy would be, let's say you want to build a house. So the first thing you know is just, I want to build this house. I've got the desire to make this happen. And I might even have an intuition of what that means to me, of what I want. But I don't, it's, not, it's not formulated. The Chachma is that flash of inspiration, is that vision of what it's going to be. Right? I see it, but I haven't yet formulated it. And the formulation is the third one, which is Bina, which is uh, the building of it, the packaging of it. Um, Bina, from Bonet to build, is the actual breaking down of the elements to be able to create it. If you want, the Chachma, the wisdom, is the right brain, the creative inspiration vision, and the Bina is the left brain, which is the more rational, more analytic, more planned outside. Now, people who are Chachma people are people who have that flash of inspiration. They're people who, you know, I know some people like this, they're constantly coming up with these great ideas, with this vision, with this, oh, you know, the world needs this, or let's create that, or, you know, this is what we need. Do they ever actually make it happen? Some of them do, some of them don't, but it doesn't really matter. And I used to kind of look at it critically because, oh, they're all talk. But for them, that's not talk. For them, that's vision. And we need those visionaries in the world. We need them, that's important. Okay? But the Bina person is the one who can structure it, who can put it in the package, who can bring the, see it of how the elements are going to all fit together. To, and a Bina person is the person who can express that idea, who can communicate, who can give it over. So that's the Keter, Chachma, Bina, the crown, the wisdom, and the uh, understanding. Now, there is another one, which is Dat, and this is where it gets a little tricky, because we've mentioned that Chabad is Chachma, Bina, Dat, the top three, but how does Keter fit in? So the Book of Formation, Sefi Yitzhara, says that the Sefirot are 10, not 11. 
Why does it have to tell us that? Because there are 11. But the 11 are really 10. Why? Because the dot is really, which is, let's call that uh, knowledge. Okay, so wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. The knowledge is really the externalization of the Keter. It's the communication of the Keter. And it's also the top three, which is, in a sense, the divine mind, coming down to inform the lower seven spherot. So uh, Keter and Dat are, in a sense, the flip sides, because Keter also is linked to the Ein Sof, so in a sense we can't access it at all. So the Dat is the manifestation of it, if you will. Um, it's also the internalizing of the uh, uh, of the knowledge. It's also the mediating between the right and the left side. Okay, it has all of these forms. And what would be a dot understanding? A dot understanding uh, is when you make something with your own, when you make it, you, when you really take possession of that vision and that understanding of how it's going to be brought about, and then it becomes personalized, it becomes mine, right? Someone might give me advice about a life path, but when I hear it, it's external. When I sit on it, digest it, really make it part of me, that's dot. Okay, so now we're going to go to the lower seven spherot. In a sense, I was trying to decide whether or not to just start with the lower seven because they're much more accessible. Because the top three are really the divine mind, and that's much more abstract. The bottom seven are more concrete human qualities that we'll be able to identify from the human realm and also understand it from the divine realm. So the top triad of the bottom seven, which is the right arm, the left arm, and the, core, the, the, the torso, is chesed, which let's call it mushrooming. And uh, my teacher, Rabbi Yitzhak Schwartz, he uses these uh, forms because really it's not just a quality, it's a process, it's a dynamic. So the dynamic... So you could say the top three are Keter is Gading, Chachma is Wisdoming, and Gevura and Bina is uh, Understanding. So uh, here we have Mushrooming, Chesed is Mushrooming, the right arm is Giving. Gevura is the left arm, which is Withholding. And Tiferet, which is often translated as Beauty, but really, it's harmonizing. It's the balance between the right and the left. So let's look at each of these. And for the bottom seven, each of these qualities will also be identified with one of the patriarchs. So Avraham is chesed, is mushrooming. Uh, that is the quality of uh, giving, of expansion, of unbounded giving to others of going beyond one's boundaries and expansion out into the world. There's, the rabbis tell us, Olam chesed yibaneh, the world was built on chesed, on mushrooming, on expansion. It's really the essence of the world, is giving. Giving is the yetzar hatov, is the good side, and it's the higher level of the soul. However, in each of them, we're going to look at the downside. Giving 
unbridled chesed can turn into chaos, right? Is there such thing as too much love? Well, when it's not channeled in the right way, yes, too much love can be smothering. Too much love can be break over all the boundaries, right? The 1960s had enormous potential, but it turned into chaos, into the chaos of the 70s. And why? Because on the other side, you need the gvura. The left side, the gvura is the disciplining. It's the uh, knowing how to put things in perspective. It's knowing when to put boundaries up. It's knowing when to, how to discipline. It's being able to channel all of that goodness in a constructive way. And so if it's not done, okay, then we said you can have chaos. The downside of gavura can be is that uh, a person who's too much gavura can be a person who pulls away, a person who is always on their guard. It can also be a person who's cold and rejecting and critical, right? Too much discipline can bring a person to be critical and constantly looking at the negative, constantly emphasizing the negative. And we know the principle in parenting for every discipline you do, there should be at least four positive reinforcements, yeses that you are giving. So, um, so that's chesed and gvura. Gvura is Yitzchak. So Isaac did not have the uh, worldliness of Avraham. He didn't attract all of the thousands of followers that Abraham did, but he had this incredible internal strength which he was able to marshal and able to discipline, able to focus upon by turning inward. And that's what Yitzchak had. That's the power of Gvura, which literally, literally means strength. Okay. And then we have the middle, which is Tiferet. Now, why is it often translated as beauty? Because the classical understanding of a beauty of aesthetics is when you take disparate elements, but putting them all together, they create a harmony and a balance between them. Of course, modern art has thrown that out the window, but that's classical aesthetics, right? Is unity in diversity. And that's why it can be a very divine undertaking. Okay. Um, and so uh, what's difficult about harmonizing is it doesn't appear to have its own quality, its own nature. Right? But as we said before, if you can take the discipline of Gvura and use it to channel the uh, expressiveness of Chesed, you can have incredible power. And that was Yaakov, Jacob, who was the balance between the right and the left. He started out as an Avraham, uh, as a Nitzchak, uh, sitting in tents, internal disciplined, and then he learned to come out of his shell and to actualize in the world and have an Avraham side as well. So each of us has within us each of these elements, but often if we look at ourselves, we can say, you know, am I an Avraham? Am I a Yitzhak? Am I a Yaakov? And we can identify within us those potentials. And the goal is to find the balance and the goal is also to build on our strengths and then 
from a place of strength to bring along the weaknesses, to work on the weaknesses. More about that later. Okay, so that you have now chesed, gevura, and tiferet, mushrooming, uh, withholding, and balancing, if you will. And now we have the bottom three, which in a sense are the right leg, the left leg, and the genitalia. And that is Netzach, Hod, and Yesod. So Netzach, we would translate as overcoming, although literally it could mean victory or eternity. Hod is enabling, and not necessarily in the negative sense. We'll talk about that. Um, it could also be translated as empathy. Um, uh, and then Yesod is communicating. Uh, it's also called foundation. It's also called uh, the covenant. And each of these is also reflected in one of the personalities. So Netzach, overcoming, is Moshe. Moshe, the leader of the Jewish people. Now, another note about the bottom three. So Rabbi Ari Kaplan formulates this in a very powerful way. So the top, let's take another analogy. Let's take an analogy of traffic coming into a city. Okay? So if you have traffic coming into a city, so what you need to do is, first of all, uh, the chesed would be how many cars, the cars that want to come in. And then the gvura is uh, figuring out what kind of traffic flow can work to make them come in. And harmonizing would be finding the balance between the amount of traffic that wants to get in, what effectively can be holding back the traffic, uh, limiting it, and then finding the balance between those two things. If you will, in our corona times, it's opening up, closing back down, and constantly readjusting. But the bottom three now, okay, the overcoming, enabling, and communicating, is in a sense not just uh, the traffic flow, but it's a traffic flow in relationship to the inhabitants of the city. In relationship to, uh, it's taking the quality of chesed and applying it to how we interact with others and the world. So chesed is expansion, it's mushrooming. Mushrooming onto others would be leadership. That's why it's Moshe. Moshe is leadership. Moshe is, um, it's also eternity because it's overcoming obstacles. It's driving. It's making, succeeding. So oftentimes, Netzach people will be leaders. They'll often be uh, powerful leaders. Uh, they'll often be um, driving personalities. But the negative manifestation can be that that person will be overly controlling. And that person can be a leader who smothers others, who can shut down others, doesn't give them room and space if it's negatively manifested. Uh, the Jewish mother syndrome, right? So that can be the negative fallout of the Netzach. Um, and the Netzah is also the leader. So whether it's in a team at work, whether it's uh, in the home, they usually emerge as one of person of the couple takes the leadership, has that 
has that role. Okay, so what is Hod? Hod is Aaron, Moshe's brother, the high priest. Hod is enabling in the sense of building others up. It's leadership, not by imposing my will and my direction, my vision, but it's the person who can nurture others to help bring out their potential. So it's the boss who doesn't micromanage. It's the boss who suggests and encourages and who understands each person's ability and helps bring it out from them. And, um, and so also the, netza, the hood person can be very empathetic because they're able to pull themselves out of the picture and focus upon the other. The negative manifestation of the hood personality can be that they're overly passive. So uh, Aaron was criticized for letting the golden calf be built. He didn't stand up to the people. Moshe comes down, what did you do? What did you let them do? So that could be a negative manifestation of it. Also, it could be that um, sometimes the hood person enables another person. In other words, if the person needs discipline, but they don't get it, it can be very negative for them. Uh, tough love, so to speak. If there's no tough love, then sometimes uh, the person can just be spoiled or you can enable a person who has uh, an addiction or who is uh, spiraling out of control, sometimes just needs someone to put their foot down and say, stop. And if the hood personality can't do that, it can be very damaging. Also, for instance, values-free therapy, which is just about bringing out whatever's in the person, whatever they feel, without the implications of it, without uh, a larger framework of right and wrong. So that is the Hod personality. Now, the middle between the two is communicating. And in a sense, it's taking all of these qualities, especially the six, uh, sorry, the five, we've already, well, the six, the five we've already talked about, and bringing them, communicating them into the world. Uh, the Hod, sorry, the uh, the Yesod personality is often charismatic, a good speaker. Um, they know how to synthesize different ideas, especially that's the center person, the harmonizing person too. Uh, and that's why it's the genitalia, because the uh, Torah's deeper understanding of the holiness of intimacy is that it's the ultimate communication of the being of the person to another. So that is Yesod, and that is Yosef Hatzadik, Yosef the Righteous One, who was able to discipline his drives and who was able to Tzadik Yesod Olam. The Righteous One is the foundation of the world. He had the lofty ideals, but he could also bring them into the world, communicate them. He was the provider of Egypt. He served the king, but he really ran the show. Um, that is Yesod. And now we get to Malchut, which, if you will, is translated literally as kingship, but really better known as Shekhinah, which is uh, the divine dwelling. And Shekhinah is feminine. And here we have a very interesting dynamic of the masculine and the feminine. And yes, there is a Jewish conception of the feminine manifestation of the divine, 
God is not male or female, but we're talking typologies here. So whereas the top sfirot are vessels that transmit, that filter and transmit the light in different, uh, in different qualities, Shekhinah is receiving. It doesn't have its own self. It is receiving all of the energy, so then it overflows and then brings it into the world. So the top seven are viewed, the, sorry, the top ones are viewed, top six are viewed as the masculine, and the Shekhinah is the feminine. And there is much of the imagery in Kabbalah of the merging of the masculine and the feminine as the ultimate actualization which can bring the divinity into the world. And that's also why intimacy is considered something holy. So uh, Shekhinah is uh, also understood as the dimension of the divine that we can experience in this world. So somehow that or Ainsof, the light of the eternal, that is unexperienceable, that would be overwhelming for us, by being diffracted through these ten qualities, becomes a Shekhinah, a divine dwelling place that we can experience, that we can feel. And uh, it's said that when the Kohanim, when the priest lifted their arms in the temple and did the Spak uh, uh, sign of peace, uh, that they were channeling through their fingers the divine light. And there's a custom not to look at the fingers of the Kohanim. Uh, the Talmud says for fear of being, of being, of being hurt. Uh, was it literally light that could be seen? There's a debate in the Zohar between Rabbi Yosef and Rabbi Yehuda. And one opinion says it actually was light that could harm your eyes. The other one says it's a divine light which is also we can experience, but we experience it through our sixth sense, through our spiritual eye, through our divine soul. So um, the Shekhinah is the divine presence. It says that the Shekhinah never left the Western Wall. That's why we go to the Kotel to pray. It's the dimension that human beings can bring of divinity that human beings can bring into the world. Hasidic literature, it's called Dira Tachtona, the dwelling place of the, of, the, of the Almighty within this world. And that's what the temple was. When the temple was standing in Jerusalem, you would go in there, Nachman, said you would re-experience the divine revelation at Mount Sinai. So that is the ultimate, the Shekhinah, the receptacle which receives all of the light overflows and then transmits it to coming into this world. There is one verse in the, the prayer book that we say every day, which comes from the uh, book of Chronicles, King David recounting to the people, they, and he's talking about God, and he says, L'cha Hashem ha-gadula v'ha-gavura v'ha-tiferes v'ha-netzach v'ha-hod ki kol ba-shamayim. And you, God, are the greatness and the strength uh, the beauty, the eternity, the empathy, and you are all. And it ends by saying kol bashamayim, everything. So the kol is a reference to the Shekhinah, to the allness of the divine as it's experienced in this world. And I'll leave you with the words of the Katska Rebbe when his uh, follower asked him, 
you know, Rebbe, where is God? Where can I find the Almighty? And some people want that place or that uh, thing they can do or that place they can go to activate. And he says, wherever you let him in. So that is where the divine can be found, where we let him in. So we hope that understanding these 10 divine qualities within us can help us to actualize our divine potential, to open ourselves up, to find our strength and our quality of divinity within us as refracted through these different divine qualities and through that to build up our strengths and then actualize them all. Next week we'll continue uh, on uh, Sunday night and uh, thank you all for joining and have a good evening.